Hello and welcome to the podcast, Emotional Intelligence, your greatest asset and key to success. I'm your host, Dr. Jamie Carlaccio, coming to you from the greater New Haven, Connecticut area. As a positive intelligence or PQ coach, I'm committed to helping people develop both emotional intelligence and mental fitness. You'll come to regard problems as situations that help you learn and grow. PQ is a way of being and doing in the world that enables you to develop and sustain a positive relationship with yourself and others at home, at work, and everywhere in between. Please subscribe to this podcast and tap the like button so more people can enjoy the benefits of PQ. And now, here's the show. Welcome back. This is podcast number nine in the C-series. So I have a question for you. What do trees, groups, and the Tao Te Ching have in common? Well, keep listening and I will tell you. In the last podcast, I discussed compassionate curiosity, focusing mainly on the individual. And I talked about empathy and exploration, which are your sage muscles, both with yourself and with others. So somebody you may not necessarily like what they say, but you know, when you practice empathy, you can be open to hearing what they say and you approach everything with a curious mindset. So whether that's in regard to a negative emotion or some kind of reaction you're having, ignore the judge and the accomplices and focus instead on how the sage would respond. So instead of beating ourselves up or judging others, be open to what's happening and don't assume that what's going on inside you should be suppressed, you know, acknowledge it, look at it and ask yourself where it might be coming from or that what someone else did or said was bad. Remember the iceberg principle? One eighth of the iceberg is visible and the other seven eighths aren't. So what's underneath the iceberg is where we need to look. The captain of the Titanic should have paid attention to that advice, right? So what I'm going to talk about today is using compassionate curiosity in a group situation. This group might be your work colleagues, your family, your friends, your neighbors. The point isn't necessarily what type of group, but what happens in the group, particularly when there are stakes involved in solving a problem and the group is seeking a particular outcome. For every person in the group, there's an opinion and a belief and an attitude, and they don't always mesh. So let's think of this in terms of positive intelligence. Imagine that there are nine of you in a work meeting, and you need to make some important choices that will have particular consequences. Imagine that all nine of you are coming to the meeting with your judge, and each person in the meeting represents one of the judge's accomplices. So sitting at the table, you've got the stickler perfectionist. You've got the pleaser who wants everyone to get along. You have the victim who believes that he or she is being put upon by everybody and doesn't want to take responsibility for him or herself and their actions. You have the hypervigilant person who's anxious. You have the hyper-rational person who thinks logic should rule the day and emotions have no place in any kinds of decision-making. You have the hyper-achiever who is dependent upon external validation. And then you have, you know, instead of the, you know, not good enoughness. And then the controller, the micromanager, and the avoider who doesn't want any conflict will just avoid it at what's at whatever cost. 
and avoid doing difficult things. And the restless one who's always looking for the next right thing and the next thing to do and doesn't like to just stay focused on one thing at a time. So each of you comes to the meeting with your judge and a saboteur. What would that meeting look like? It would be a disaster in Technicolor. And the stickler would clash with the restless one and the controller would clash with the hyperachiever and the avoider would clash with the hyper-rational one and, and so on. And the judge would be chairing the meeting. Now, imagine the same nine of you coming to the meeting, but this time you've acknowledged your saboteurs and your judge, you've silenced them and you've left them outside the room. And you all arrive in sage gear. And don't you look good in your sage outfit. So given that you have a daunting task ahead of you, you'd never get anything done if the saboteurs were running the show. But when you have nine sages in the room, you will rock and roll. You will be practicing empathy and curiosity. So I'm going to tell you about a sage game that you can play called Yes And using the 90-10 principle. So I'm going to use an easy example here. Let's say that the nine of you need to decide on a venue for an important conference that's coming up in January, which is winter in the Northern Hemisphere, for those of you who are listening from the Southern Hemisphere, with a highly sought-after keynote speaker. There are so many moving parts to this, but one of them is location. Playing the yes and game and using the 90-10 principle, everyone in the room has an equal say and an opportunity to voice an opinion or share an idea. So sage number one starts off saying, we should have the conference in Paris. The food is great. I just love it. It's I love the French language. It's a beautiful city. And you, sage number two, are thinking that is such a bad idea. Most of the people going to the conference live in the United States and nobody speaks French. But you say, what I like about your idea is that you've identified a city where there's great food and who doesn't like great food? You may disagree with or dislike 90% of what Sage said, Sage number one said, but you don't shut Sage number one down. Instead, you say, and we should choose a city like Chicago since it's right on Lake Michigan and there's great food in Chicago. And Gino's East comes to mind for me because I love deep dish pizza. And then sage number three knows Chicago very well and thinks to herself that Chicago in the winter is positively freezing and windy and is really not conducive to anything that might be going on outside at this conference. So sage number three says, what I like about your idea is that it's a city on a beautiful body of water and we should consider a city that's warm in the winter to account for any outdoor activities that might take place. Sage number three likes warm weather. So you get the idea. By the time all nine of you have had your say, you've at least had nine solid ideas to work with. And more important, nobody gets left out, nobody feels shut down because each of you expressed an idea and was vindicated at least by 10%, you have effectively worked together demonstrating compassion and curiosity. Compassion, because you want to ensure that the person before you doesn't feel like a loser for coming up with what you think is a bad idea. And curiosity, because you've been able to listen for what might be good about an idea that was expressed. So if you go in with that mindset and 
then things are going to turn out a lot better. If you go in with the mindset of, I know what we're going to do and I know what outcome I think we should have, it's not going to go well. And chances are some people are going to leave the meeting very frustrated and upset and it doesn't it doesn't make for happy people and it doesn't make for finding a good solution. So the point I'm making is that when you exercise your sage muscles, you're more likely to have a positive experience. And groups are like ecosystems. If part of the ecosystem is dysfunctional, it affects all of it. So now I want to talk about those trees and the Tao Te Ching that I mentioned at the beginning. And you'll understand my point in just a minute, so bear with me. So there's a group of quaking aspens in Utah that scientists call Pando. And they believe that this group of trees is the world's largest living organism with thousands of clones. So pando is Latin for I spread. Now the quaking aspen grow in groups called stands. And within these stands, a single tree will sprout, spreading new stems from its roots, often several feet away from the original trunk. A geneticist from the US Forest Service explains that quote, those trees remain connected for a good long while over many years, with the stems coming up over a larger and larger area. So their stems can share the products of photosynthesis and food and possibly disease. Scientists estimate that Pando's genetic makeup could be anywhere from 80,000 to a million years old. And yes, that's quite a spread, but they can't measure it precisely. But based on analyses of how long it takes aspens to grow and sprout, Scientists agree that Pando is extremely old, if not one of the Earth's most ancient organisms. And so this organism represents a huge ecosystem connected by an interlocking root system that's engaged in reciprocity. You can't see all the roots, of course, because they're underground. All you can see are the individual trees. So one-eighth of the organism is theoretically above ground and seven-eighths are below ground. So now can you tell where I'm going with this? Uh, speaking of trees, there, there's a German forester by the name of Peter Volhaben who wrote the book, The Hidden Life of Trees. Maybe you've heard of it. I'm going to put it in the show notes. And he explains the amazing processes of life, death, and the regeneration that he has observed in the woodland and the amazing scientific processes that happen that we're not aware of. So for example much like human families, and this is Peter Volhaben talking, um, I'm paraphrasing him, tree parents live together with their children and they communicate with them and they support them as they grow, sharing nutrients with them, especially with their sick or struggling, and they create an ecosystem that mitigates the impacts of extremes like heat and cold for the whole group. And he said in one interview that I watched, that the parrot trees feed their offspring by expelling sugar downward so that it can be taken up by the young trees. Essentially, and this is his word, suckling them as a child suckles on a mother's breast. So yeah, that's his analogy. And as a result of such interactions, he says, trees in a family or community are protected and live to be very old. And now in contrast, solitary trees have a tough time of it and most cases, they die earlier than those that are in a group. So from an ecological standpoint, we need to view trees 
not as isolated individuals, even though that's what they look like, but as communities bound up in a complex set of ecological relationships with organisms of the same species and with organisms of different species, and most especially the soil fungi that help transmit nutrients to the plant roots. Volhaven says that trees are social beings and that they're like human communities, and there are advantages to working together. So the essential argument I'm making is that like the ecology of trees, which thrive in their reciprocity and communication, we are also living parts of a human ecosystem that thrives when we work together for the benefit of all. And that's why the sage power is so essential to our daily lives. If we can recognize our connectedness instead of focusing on our separateness and our difference, and therefore feeling disconnected, like we're all just separate trees with no interlocking roots, we stand to thrive in a mutually life-giving ecosystem. So now I'm going to talk about the Tao Te Ching, which is a 6th century BCE book that was thought to have been written by Lao Tzu. And in Chinese, the Tao means path or way, the Te means virtue, and Ching means ancient text. So together, it is an ancient Chinese text that lays out the path to virtue. And I was reading it, and verse 39 spoke to me because it has a lot to do with connection. It's rooted in nature, and it's communal in organization. So here's verse 39. The oneness of life displays itself in parts. Clarity expresses oneness in the sky. Stillness expresses oneness in the earth. Purity expresses oneness in spirit. Valleys express oneness when they flow with rivers. And when the 10,000 creatures realize oneness, they flourish. And when, when leaders realize oneness, they bring peace to the world. So when we're in sage mode, whether you're with another person or a group, we're part of an ecosystem that functions when we work together. And that's the power of positive intelligence and emotional intelligence. So you don't have to be the sharpest tack in the box in terms of straight up cognitive IQ, but it does pay great dividends to have a high EQ or PQ. So before I close, I want to give a big shout out of gratitude to the more than 500 people who have downloaded episodes from more than 42 countries so far. And topping the list is Melbourne, Australia. So thank you, Oz. I appreciate the support. And if you like this podcast, please click on the like button and subscribe. And I would appreciate your support of this podcast by buying me a cup of coffee. And the link is in the show notes. So beginning with the D series, and I'm going to be talking about diversity, I'll be broadcasting live from YouTube. And I haven't decided on the day, but I'm thinking Wednesdays. And that would be at 3 p.m. Eastern Time U.S., so I know that's not ideal for some folks in other time zones, but you will be able to watch it on the replay when it's convenient for you. So up next is my interview with PQ coach Amanda Deitch, who will be sharing her experience helping clients approach life with curiosity. And until then, I will see you at the PQ gym. <laughs>